in Ephesians, the fifth chapter, there's some great truths in here. And we'll begin reading in the 18th verse. And it says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, which means is excess. But, so don't do this, but do this. And, and I know that we know from the Scripture, you know, in the Old Testament, anything, anything with hard alcohol, there's no question. You can't touch it. You know, and they knew that from the truth. But they, and, you know, but they said, don't be drunk with wine, because in some of those cultures where the water is real bad, that's what they had to drink with a meal. And um, what he was saying was, don't get drunk don't spend time drinking till you come under the influence of alcohol. He said, but be filled or drink or let flow and be filled with, in other words, don't get filled with alcohol, be filled with the Spirit. And it's interesting because he met these people, we've looked at this a couple of weeks ago, his first introduction to this group of people that he wrote this letter to later, the first thing he said to them, it said when he found disciples in, in, in Acts 19, he said, you know, after he found out that they were all believers, he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? He didn't even give them a hug, didn't give them a handshake, a high five, none of that, didn't go around and greet their kids. First thing he said is said, you know, after he found believers, he said, have you been filled with the Spirit since you believed? Well, if one is the same, why would you ask? And it's not the only time it happened, but we just happened to be here in the book of Ephesians. It wasn't the only time, but it was one of the times where he asked. And there was another time, or other times after people, like in Acts 8, where they had gotten saved, the whole city had turned to the Lord for the most part, and then they sent the apostles down that they might receive the Holy Spirit or be filled with the Spirit. And so we see here that they are filled. Jesus said this, and it's important to think of the different things that are said in this context. When he talked about being filled with the Spirit, he said, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He said, thus he spoke of the Holy Spirit. So he wanted you to know what the Holy Spirit would look like in you. He would flow up and out, out of the inside. Some translations say out of your belly. That doesn't mean out of your stomach, but out of that core place. Right? If you start praising God and expressing things to God and you're saved, and you start praying, you'll start knowing stuff way deep down inside. I remember when I got out of Bible school and I went to this one church and I had been there before I went to Bible school and uh, they were, you know, I thought that it was good. I didn't know. I just hadn't grown. I got taught some stuff and I go there and, you know, there's a lot of people there and the pastor starts going, man, you know, so-and-so died in the church, you know, and, and uh, you know, we're, we're not excited, but we're glad that God has used that to bring a lot more young people in. And then he proceeded to say how God just wanted another angel in heaven and how God did this. No, the guy was running from the police. He was on the back of a motorcycle and fell off and got ran over and got killed. So God didn't do that. And God doesn't turn people into angels when you get to heaven. You are 
still you when you get there. And I thought, I'll starve to death here. So I left. Not in the middle of service. Please give me that. (laughs) Okay, we'll sit through the service then. And so after I thought, I had already determined, I'm not going back. This isn't the truth. If this is what I'm going to be feeding on all the time, I mean, how many of you go back to restaurants and there's caterpillars and hair and your stuff, and you're like, I'll be back next week. This is awesome. That's not even vegetarian. <laughs> and so you're like, I'm, I'm not going back. And uh, I was going to say something. Well, we did a youth activity one time, and we have a group of girls back when I was a youth pastor, and they'll never, never go back to this fast food. I was going to tell the name. But I won't, because the one youth worker took a bite, and there was a big fingernail inside her burrito. She didn't say, oh, this will be awesome. Let's go back and eat some more. She's never eaten there again. See, I didn't tell you where it was. (laughs) You guys want to go out to eat after? But it was fast food Mexican, and uh, that's all I'm going to say. And, uh, I mean, I could give more hints, but, you know, <laughs> but, I, but I won't. But anyway, you just wouldn't go back if you were subject to things like that. You'd say, wait a minute, but why do people subject themselves to things that are not truth? Well, anyway, I left, and I, I was searching now for a church. And... Um, and uh, God can deal with you so many different ways. What's wild at the same time, my parents were looking for a church uh, that because what happened was I just got out of Bible school, and right before they uh, went out for my graduation or for these meetings that were out there where I was for Bible school, their pastor got up in front of the church and just said, hey, if you're looking for this kind of teaching, this kind of minister, this kind of this, this kind of this, just went through a list of stuff, and named the preachers, he said, then this isn't the place for you. So they go back halfway across the United States, and they sit in these meetings, and they're sitting there, and this preacher just goes across, you know, and he's preaching on the platform, and he just goes over to right where they were, and he said, listen, I'll tell you what, if I was in a church and they said, you know, if you want this kind of teaching and you want it from this type of person, and just went through the whole list of people that pastor just had said, he said, then I wouldn't go back. Because those were all good people. And so they didn't go back. So they went to this one church. And uh, I said, well, you guys go there. I'll go check something else out. And I just kind of started to know, this is not it. Way down inside. I don't need to go back to that place where I had that. I'd already been set. And I thought, well, I'll just try some different things. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go to the same church they're going to. And I walked in the back door, and nobody was friendly. You know, they were good people like you, but no, I'm kidding. And, uh, but they just weren't friendly. And so here, here they are, and uh, I walk in the door, and there were people all huddled together, and I just walked right in between, you know, and just went in and sat down. Nobody said hi, nobody or anything. But when I walked in the door, something inside, it was like home. I just knew it. I knew it. I'm like, home, this home. So I wasn't bothered by what they had or didn't have or how friendly or not friendly they were because it wasn't conditional on that because I'm not going to live my life that way. 
Could you imagine if we had a society that, oh, never mind, we do, that lives like that? You know, everything's got to be perfect, and if you don't hurt my feelings, I'll stay and stuff. Man, there'd be a lot of people who'd be totally offended at Jesus and wouldn't be following him. Not that we're purposing to offend people, but I do have a list of things. No, you just preach the truth, and it's Jesus is called a rock of offense and a stone of stumbling. For people who do not believe, it said they'll stumble at him. People who don't believe certain things, it it becomes a stumbling block to them. So I just knew that I knew, way down inside, I'm home. So I went back the next week and went back the next week and went back the next week and uh, just got plugged in. And they said one night, you know, uh, one Sunday morning, they said, hey, we need to strip wallpaper in the children's classroom and do all this if we have any volunteers. I was the only one who volunteered. And there were more people than are in this room. And I'm the new guy. So, so they're like, oh, okay, that's cool. They're thinking, you know, they got all these people. So I go down there and start stripping wallpaper and doing stuff night after night after I get off work and do my thing, just stripping wallpaper. Never told them I'm a Bible school graduate with the call of God on my life. <laughs> I'm down there doing stuff, building stuff for them, and I'm putting, making puppet stages and barn scenes and stuff and building this stuff late at night. And one night, 9.30, the pastor comes and opens up the door. And he's all, hey. I'm all, hey, how's it going? Good, you know, getting it done. He said, oh, because he teaches in this big Bible school about an hour away. He said, so I ran into this person. You know them? Oh, I said, yeah, I know them. He said, how come you never told me you went to Bible school? I said, well, I figured if I had something, you'd figure it out in time. He said, okay, I appreciate that. And left. That's where I became the assistant pastor and the youth pastor for all those years. But I stayed there and did stuff not because I had a big booming voice, but I knew out of the inside what was right, and, and it wasn't about me. I'm just going to do it. I'm going to follow God. And so... He said here, don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, we talked about how the Holy Spirit's called a comforter, a teacher, a guide, a strengthener, a standby to help, one who witnesses, one who will show you things to come, one who will quicken your body, and on and on and on. The list goes. So he told believers... Remember, we read some of this. Jesus said, it's to my advantage that I leave. Most people don't understand that concept even in the church world. They're like, it would, it would have been much better if I only lived when Jesus was here. That's not even true. Jesus said that's not true. He said, it's to your advantage that I leave because if I don't leave, then the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he called him that, we looked at the word, it literally means one who does you know, when a helper, a comforter, one who does in the absence of another, right? I mean, if you have a babysitter, what do you expect them to do when you leave? Do what you do when you're there. But the nice thing is, is the comforter can be with everybody. Jesus could only be in one place when he was here. So he can be inside of every believer and live in you, make his permanent dwelling in you. So that would be to your advantage because otherwise... I'd be like not doing vacations to Cabo San Lucas or, you know, I'd be like, Jerusalem, you know, Israel, where's he at wandering around? I've got to go be with Jesus. 
You know, now in the day and age we live, he's going to be Facebook Live everywhere. And we'd be able to just watch him. But now to our advantage, there is one doing in his absence what he did when he was present, and he is the Holy Spirit. And so he's the teacher, he's the guide, he does everything Jesus did with his disciples in you. Now, I don't believe you, you, you build a relationship with the Holy Spirit in the concept of what people say. Because we know the Bible said he will not speak, Jesus said it himself, he will not speak on his own compulsion. In other words, it, he won't just say it because he wants to. Whatever he hears the Father say, because you're never told to pray to the Holy Spirit in the Bible. But he lives in you when you get saved, and you can be filled to overflowing. And so we pray to the Father, but the Father communicates with us down on the inside by the Spirit. That's plain from the Bible. He's the great teacher of truth. He's the unveiler of the course of life for humanity that would look to him. You with me? He's the one who convicts. He's the one who draws. And he lives inside the believer. Therefore, you know me, I don't like a lot of those songs that come Holy Spirit, oh Lord, come. Those are dumb. They're totally against the Bible because God never leaves the believer. Yeah, he's just walking with me. No, he's walking in you. And he'll be in you forever. And he said he'll never leave you. And so when you get saved and he comes and lives in you, the Bible said, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So that says that everyone who's saved, his spirit's in you. But if you try to judge on a lower standard of life than the standard God has set, you're going to get trapped. You're going to get in trouble. What is the lower standard? Feelings. Oh, yeah, he's in me for sure. Because I, when we were praying, we got about to the third song and bam, yeah, he's in me. Whoop. You know, you're all depressed when you woke up, but third song, he's in me. No, he was in you when you woke up. But if you judge it by how you feel, then you're not judging it by the right standard, which is his eternal word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word, he is not a liar. So if he said, I'm with you, I'm with you. That's probably why it says, stir up the gift of God that's in you. You know, what if you got a drink somewhere, like a chocolate milk, and you started drinking out of there, and you're taking a sip, and, and you're like, this isn't chocolatey enough. We need more chocolate. We need more chocolate. What we need is chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. Get the waiter. Waiter. Chocolate all around at this table. We are chocolate milk. Bad. He's a, is it really? Now, he may know something. he say, now, did you stir up the chocolate milk? We need more chocolate. We need more chocolate. Impound. We need more chocolate. We need, look at that. The light came on. <laughs> we need more chocolate. No, maybe you just need to stir up the chocolate that's in the bottom. If he never leaves you, then all the power of God's in you. That's why the Bible said in the 17th verse of Timothy in the first chapter, God, or seventh, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, power, love, and a sound mind. So the believer has power, but what if we're not stirring up 
And here where it says be filled with the Spirit, the better way it should be written literally means have an outflow. Have an outflow. Overflow, outflow. In other words, if I stirred up the chocolate milk, you know, because we could all come to a revelation right there at the table if we were there and all, we need more, we need more. How many Christians are praying for more when they're filled with the Spirit? What if we just stirred up? Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy used those terms twice. Peter writing to a church used that term, stir up, stir up, stir up. Why would you stir something up? Let me ask you a question. There are many geniuses here. I know. I'm one of them. Do you stir water? Uh, no. 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 Why? Because there's nothing in there to stir. But, you know, if you have a swimming pool and you just stirred it up and stuff, is it going to get all murky and dirty? No. I mean, if it's clean it's, and there's nothing there, there's nothing there. But if you've got dirt on the bottom of something and you start stirring it up, it changes the whole thing. It's because there was something there. It just wasn't stirred up. And so when he says stir up, it implies there's something there that needs to be stirred up. Some people need to do this verse right here just to know what they've got in God for many reasons. In other words, some, some Christians say, I just don't know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't know God's plan for my life. But I hear people say he's got a plan. Then they hear about orphans in some country and they're like, that's it, orphans. And then they're pushed that way. No, we should be much more calculated than that. Right? We shouldn't be. Because we can see in the Bible that people can get in the presence of God and be driven totally wrong. I have here. What? Serious? Huh? Yeah, they can. Right? Somebody says, I ain't going to answer you right now. You know me better than that. You better say yes. Remember Peter and James and John were called up onto the Mount of Transfiguration. The stories in Matthew, the stories in Luke. And they were called up there and Jesus was transfigured in front of them. And it said his clothes became so white that no fuller could whiten them. You're like, what's that? A laundry guy couldn't even get him that white. He looked like an angel. He was glowing. And all of a sudden, the glory of God came in a cloud and was hanging over the place. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah appeared to him. I mean, and they're there watching this go down. So everything that happens there is perfect, right? Everybody's like, I, I ain't answering that. So what does he do? He, it said because of fear, he didn't even know what to say, one of the stories. So, you know, that he didn't know. So he did say something, though. He said, it's good that we're here. That part was true. The next part wasn't. Let's build a temple for you and Moses and Elijah. Was that true? No. What would that have done? It would have taken a man who was going to be one of the main leaders in the church and he would have been a construction foreman. Right? Then how's he going to get the money for all this? Money that belongs somewhere else is now going to go toward these temples. 
One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. Is he going to be able to build them by himself? No. So he's going to get people to help him. So people that are helping him should be doing something else because these things are not from God. Oh, I'm glad you're here this morning too, but it's the truth. And then God has to correct him, and he just speaks audibly out of that cloud, and obviously they ditch the idea of the three temples. Wasn't that a good idea? I mean, yes. I mean, it was spiritual. You know, like those guys sinking in the ship, and one guy said, man, we're in trouble. We better do something spiritual. And the other guy said, like what, take up an offering? You get the wrong idea here. No, like, let's pray. You understand what I'm saying? And so, just because you have a good idea, you got to know. And one thing is for the believer, when he said that we should be filled with the Spirit and we should be being filled, he wants this to be flowing out of you. What? This life of the Spirit, these rivers out of your innermost being. So when he said here, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled or be being filled, literally means to overflowing. So how would it overflow? He's in you when you get saved and then get filled with the Spirit. Well, how do I do this? What's interesting is almost every story where somebody was originally filled they talked about being filled again. Acts 2, they were filled, but Acts 4, they were filled again. Acts, or here in, in Acts 19, they were filled, but here he taught them to be being filled. And the stories go on. Paul was filled, you know, in Acts 8 and 9 in that area through that story where he has that Damascus Road experience. But then he talked about living a life of maintaining an overflow. So that being said, he said, don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. If he would have stopped right there, we would have been left in the dark of how, unless there were other verses. And so it's interesting, the very next verse, he tells you how to be filled or to how to maintain this Spirit-filled life. Verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. The key there is whether you're singing around people or not, you make melody in your heart to the Lord. <clears throat> you make melody in your heart to the Lord. Then he goes on and makes this fantastic statement right after. Giving thanks always. Now, we've said this before. He doesn't mean always in the sense of like every single second. Like the Bible said, pray without ceasing. And people have described, try to describe what it means to pray without ceasing. You actually can't do it by most people's definition. Because there's other commandments to do other things. You'd have to cease one to do the other by most people's definition. What it means is don't ever cease. Don't get out of the habit. 
I mean, you know, the Bible said when we go to eat, we're to give thanks and, you know, and with prayer and thanks, and then we're to eat. Well, it's hard to eat and be praying at the same time and praising the Lord. Praise you. Praise you. And your potato chips are flying out of your mouth, but you just got to praise Him at all times. No, it means don't cease that lifestyle. How many people had New Year's, don't raise your hands, New Year's resolutions, those last about a week. Those should be non-ceasing. That doesn't mean you do it 24 hours a day, 365 days, you know, all the time. They should be without ceasing. So should prayer be in your life. Not starting off in a ball of fire, you know, and I'm praying every day for two hours, and then you sputter out after about a month, and you're down to three minutes at best. That doesn't help. It'd be better just to pray without ceasing and get in the habit of having a prayer time and praying and talking to God and having an attitude of, I praise the Lord. I like this verse only because I was an alcoholic until September 10th, 1985. I got delivered and have never had a sip since and won't ever the rest of my life. That being said, I know people who are drunk have no excuses. They just do it. They make opportunities. A little here, a little there, a lot here. That's how they live their life. And so we just need to live our lives doing the things of God. That doesn't mean there aren't other things. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy other things. Because the Bible's plain that he gave us richly all things to enjoy. But we should have these attitudes and these actions in our lives. And so he said, don't be drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. He said, speaking these things. And then verse 20, it says, giving thanks always for all things to God. Lord, we just want to thank you right now for September 11th when the buildings were crashed into and all those people died. Thank you. Oh, yeah, Lord, there was a ship called the Titanic. Thank you. That's all things, right? Is that what he means, though? Or is he writing a letter here and talking in the context about talking about thanking him for all things? Because we know from Jesus and from other authors that, that evil is not from God. And he even one author said it this way, James, who was inspired by God, he said, do not be deceived. So you could be deceived in that area. He said, don't be deceived. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above. And he is talking in the context of temptation and it being something that's evil. We don't say, thank you, Lord, the devil's attacking me right now. Now, we can count it joy because we can win. But we don't thank him. Thank you, Lord. The devil's been after me all day. Thank you. No. In the context, we're to thank him for all things. What all things? We'll go back and read through. We've been going through this. He said, all things are yours in Christ. He said, you've been quickened and made alive together with Christ. He said, all your trespasses have been forgiven you. He said, there's an inheritance for your life in Christ. He said, you've been put back into the commonwealth and into the covenants of promise, just the ones that the Israel had. He said, now as a believer, you have those in Christ. 
He said, you've been raised up into a victorious position. You have been set right with the Father. He does exceedingly great above what you can think and ask when you pray for certain things. And on and on, he's been going through all this stuff. Those are the all things we thank him for always. Thank you, Lord. You've blessed me. You look out for me. You are on my side. If I do wrong, I'm cleansed by your blood. Those are the all things, you know, just all we have to do is go back and read five and a half chapters, and there's a bunch of stuff, bunches of stuff. We've already looked at lots of it that are yours. And so when he said here, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father, we're in the context talking about a bunch of stuff he said are yours, that you are accepted. He said in one place, and, and these are all things he just said in these earlier chapters, that you were recreated in Christ unto good works, that you might glorify God in him. So you're brand new on the inside. As a believer, when you received him, you're totally different. Your mind may be thinking wrong, but we already looked in the fourth chapter where he said you need to change your thinking so you can put this new man that's on the inside on the outside in your actions. We shouldn't look at ourselves as bad people. We should look at ourselves like we were recreated in Christ. We may be doing bad, but we've already seen the remedy for that. Didn't we? He told us to put that stuff away, and he told us not to sleep and live like the rest of the world. The rest of the world, he said, they're dead. For us to live like that, we're sleeping. Sleeping and dead people look a lot alike, but they're not alike at all. And the world may live that way because they're dead in their trespasses and sins. But we can thank God whether we're asleep or whatever. People who are asleep live like the world. So he said, arise and wake. So you can say, thank you, Lord. I'm alive. I'm alive. I'm alive because of you with your life. And so when he says here, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ... That's one of the huge things. Let, let's um, look at two stories, maybe, at least one. Acts, the fourth chapter, about people who did this kind of thing that we are commanded to do here. Listen, if you have a time in your life where you pray, it might be when you're out walking and you have a place where you stop and you pray, and you may pray there, you know. I know there are people like that. They have a spot where they go to pray. There's people who pray after everybody leaves the house. There's some people, people get quiet, they go to bed, they lay in bed at night, and they're up for 20, 30 minutes, and that's when they pray. And they're not praying super loud, but I would encourage you, add this to your prayer life. Add this to your time with God. Put it like a bookend at the, at the beginning and the end. Because there's so many times in the Bible, the Bible said we're to pray with thanksgiving. Why not, before you just approach God with your problems, do this? You'll see that they actually did this in the Bible. They did pray, but they started when they were praising. They ended with praise, but then the results were exactly what we were told right there. And I wonder if we just approach God on His terms and did things on His terms, if we might just see some Bible results and then not have to make excuses of why God doesn't do this today, or he won't do this today. And instead of, you know, trying to give God an excuse for being weak when he's not, 
We just approach him his way, do it his way, and watch him do what he said he would do, because he always said he would always confirm his word with accompanying signs, didn't he? And so if we act on his word, we can be in business, right? I mean, most people have an understanding that if you praise God, something starts to happen. We were doing that earlier, and we're just singing to the Lord, and you know, I mean, you can't bring the band with you. So you got to learn how to do this on your own. It'll just change the whole when we do it together, too. You might find that this is addicting. You might just find that real pleasure is really when you're walking with God. And so here in Acts, the fourth chapter, the disciples had been told to go preach and to go pray for the sick and to go cast out devils and do all these things. They were doing them, and they were having results. And all of a sudden, the religious people didn't like it. They get locked up. They let, get let go from their prison sentence. So if somebody goes to prison for the gospel, that's not bad. Oh, they were in jail. <laughs> well, if it's for the gospel, we shouldn't compromise. They didn't. But here's one thing that we need to understand. No matter what you're facing in life, you need to know who your own people are. And you better know what they believe and how they're going to approach you in things. Because there are some things you don't need. They came back to their own company here, and they didn't cry for them. Their own companions joined in in doing this right here. And that's how we need to be. We don't need to just... There's sometimes you just don't need to go, oh, you know, oh, I'm so sorry. There is a time for that. But there's sometimes where you fight the fight and you get on and go, let's go. Pull up your boots, tighten your belt. I live that way. Let's do it. I don't know if everybody appreciates that. But I think, man, this is God. He's strong. And so here it says, Verse 23, and being let go, Acts 4, 23, being let go, they went to their own companions. These are people who believed like them, people who walked like them, talked like them, acted like them. They went to their own companions. They, they didn't go to the bar and go, oh, man, we're in trouble. They didn't go, you know what I need to do is just get away and watch a good movie right now. Just got out of prison. This ain't good. No, they went to their own companions. And so that could mean if your companions aren't the best, maybe change some companions. Right? Companions can help or hinder. Somebody said, but if I get rid of my companions, I'll have none. That's better. You've got us. Yeah, but you guys are all older, younger. You're younger. You're older. You're not like me. Oh, we are like you. We're all born of the same God. We're all children of God. We may have different color hair. Some don't have hair. But whatever it is, we have a lot more in common than you realize unless you look only by the outward appearance, then you go, well, they're older, they're younger, they're my age, they dress like me, they don't dress like me. That's not what it's all about. You with me? 
And so he went to his own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They, and what was it they said? You can't do anymore what really Jesus told them to do. That's what they were told. And so when they heard this, they all raised their voice and started crying and said, oh, God, I didn't know it would be this hard to serve you, and it's, I can't even believe this. He didn't tell me all this. He did tell them, actually. And so they lifted their voice to God with one accord, meaning they all were going the same direction and said, Lord, you're God. In other words, they're not, you are. You made the heavens and you made the earth. You made the sea and all that's in them. Even all these people walking that are talking this trash. Verse 25. Who by the mouth of your servants. So they're immediately after they hear, they start praying. They start directing their attention toward God and how big he is. They start magnifying the Lord. Sounds like praise, doesn't it? You're big. You're the creator. You made everything. It says, who by the mouth of your servant David, you've said. In other words, out of the Old Testament Scripture, now they're even quoting the Bible. We can't take the Bible out of messages and expect them to impact people. Not from God's standpoint. People may swallow the other easier, but the whole thing is God works with His Word. There's power in his word. And he said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? He basically found a verse that covers their foul actions. He said, the kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant, Jesus, verse 27, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, those were those leaders, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. They were the ones who killed him. And these guys are still working against him. Notice this. To do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. In other words, in his pre-foreknowledge, there needed to be a sacrifice for the world. It was Jesus. Even though they were motivated by evil, they did fulfill God's plan. It says, now, Lord, look on their threats. Listen, these people are motivated. Lord, look on what they are saying. What were they saying? Don't do what Jesus told you to do. That's what it was. Go share your faith. Pray for the sick. Cast out devils. Get people filled with the Holy Spirit. Go read Mark 16. These are the words. Now they've been threatened. You cannot do this anymore. So what was their thought? You're God. We're following you. We're going to do what you say. We're not going another way because man is pushing. Because these men are being pushed by an unseen influence, the devil. And we just might as well call it what it is. That doesn't mean we just walk around going, you devil person, devil person. That's not wisdom. Just trying to help in case not anybody here would do that, of course. But we can know that people are blinded and do things because of certain influences. So now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants. So now they're praying. They're magnifying. 
Now they're praying. Grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal. Now he had already told them before, if you act on my word, I will work with you. Right? Mark 16, 19 said they went forth everywhere, preached the word. The Lord worked with them and accompanied them and worked with them and confirmed his word with the accompanying signs that he had already mentioned from verse 15 down. So notice he said, and when they had prayed, let me go back, by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They were only saying, we're going to do this. We just need boldness. And look what happened as they were praying and magnifying God. Praise is a way of magnifying God. Prayer, you can magnify God in your prayers. It's some of the steps of being filled. Notice this in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together had their air conditioners ripped off. No, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. You'll always notice in the Bible that speech and filled with something go hand in hand. When they were filled and spoke in tongues in Acts 2 and in other places, Acts 10, Acts 19, they spoke in tongues when they were filled. But then how do you get, maintain a spirit-filled life? By speaking. What is a sign that you are filled? You'll be speaking. And here they are. They had gotten to the place that they just went out and spoke the word boldly. But notice what it said right there. They were filled with the Spirit. I don't think God's opposed to shaking buildings today. But I think there has to be a filling to a certain degree. I mean, we've prayed for people, watched people fall over. We've praised God in here. and You know, Sunday nights when we spend extended time. And I've had people tell me, man, it was hard to stand up. You could just sense God moving so strong. And just such a presence of the Lord. Just like in the Old Testament when they'd praise Him. And the whole place would be filled with the glory of God and they, they couldn't even stand up. And you see those different things happen. Well, what if you just got more filled and more filled and more filled? Man, instead of just affecting people, could it affect other things? Is God that big or is he out of business? We just, we just hobbling in like a bunch of wounded soldiers until he returns. And the best was 2,000 years ago. And all the rest of that victorious stuff in the Bible and doing great things until he comes. Like, you know, in the book of Daniel when he prophesied about the end times, he said those that would know their God, and you got to know him, and this is a way just to know him and to fellowship with him, he said would become strong and then do exploits. So, so is it that we can't know God today? No, absolutely not. You can know God better than any person on the earth. Anybody that's endeared to you, you can get to know God better. I mean, you can really get to know him where he deals with you and you know him. Not some crazy something, but I mean real. Because you just got to remember, you can't have counterfeit without the real. So we just won't be bothered. We'll just stay fixed in the scripture and moving with his spirit.